Exodus. We're continuing in the book of Matthew this morning. In Matthew chapter uh, 12, we'll be finishing it up this morning, starting with the 46th verse. And uh, before we read that, just kind of a review of where we've been uh, through the chapter 12 especially, uh, looking at the opposition that has come up against Jesus as he has began to really identify himself. The first part of chapter 12, for instance, uh, he heals the man, it's the Sabbath, and, and immediately uh, there's, there's tension on the, on the Sabbath. And what's his declaration at the end of that? I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, that upsets the apple carts of most of the Pharisees, I'm sure, right off the bat. And, and, and then, you know, he heals a man that's demon-possessed and he, that couldn't speak and, and couldn't uh, see, and, and he, now he can see and speak. And the people are saying, could this possibly be the one we've been waiting for, the, the son of David? The Messiah is what's implied. And the Pharisees immediately pipe up and they say, no, he, he's using the power of Beelzebub. In other words, he's using the power of the demons to do his miracles. Well, Jesus shuts them down with an argument that becomes you know, one of those obvious things. If Satan is casting out Satan, then he's divided against himself and he'll ruin himself. It doesn't work that way. And, and no, it's by the, you know, I'm doing this to... The, the power of the Holy Spirit. And, he, and so he's you know, giving argument to their uh, arguments against who he is. And then finally, you know, the, the last thing they asked for that was talked about was, is it, hey, give, give us a sign, Jesus. Now, we go back to the, the several chapters. We see all the miracles that he's been doing. And now they're, they're, they're saying, hey, give us a sign. And he says, I'll tell you what, I'll give you the sign of Jonah, the prof, you know, meaning a prophetic sign. Three days, three nights in the belly of the whale, and then I will rise. And uh, they have decided at this point, and of course this was even earlier in the chapter 12, they want to destroy Jesus. And destroy here means, I think, destroy in the broadest of terms. I don't have a doubt that it has everything to do with ultimately physically destroy him if necessary. But they also want to destroy his reputation. Trick him up somehow to, to ask him the right question that he won't have an answer to. Or if he answers it, uh, you know, he'll, he'll upset part of the, of the crowd. You know, something that's politically divisive in their land. And there was plenty to ask about. Kind of like today. You know, it's amazing how quickly we can divide each other over political issues. No matter what you ask in a crowd of people, you will, you will offend some and, and excite others, you know. And, and so this, this picture was, was we want to get him out of the picture. The people are starting to follow him, throng to him, and they're supporting him. We come to an interesting few verses, the last few verses of chapter 12, and they almost seem out of place, but you'll see where they fit in in just a minute. Chapter 12, verse 46. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? 
And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So we have Jesus' parent, well, his mom and his brothers, standing outside where he is talking. And they're wanting to come in and, and speak to him. And he makes the most strange statement as far as we can see, initially looking at it. Well, who, are my, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Well, all of you who believe in me, you're my family. Basically what he's saying. Now, first off, we have to start with something that is controversial for some, and that is the reality that Jesus had brothers and sisters. Uh, all we have to do is turn over a couple of pages in your Bible to Matthew chapter 13 uh, to, to verse uh, 55. As he was being uh, rejected by those who were at Nazareth uh, as, as, as he was declaring his ministry, they, they, they would, of course, know his background, the Nazarenes. And he says, they were saying, is not this the carpenter's son? So who are they speaking of there? Joseph. Is not this his mother and called Mary? And are not these, are, <clears throat> excuse me, and are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Now, that tells you something. How many brothers did he at least have? Four. They named four. Okay. How many sisters did he at least have? Two. At least. And the way they say it, all his sisters might be even a broader term. Okay. Jesus has, you know, uh, basically six siblings. That's not an unusual family in the times. The question is, are they Marys? If we go to the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church says, no, uh, they are cousins. If you go to the Orthodox Catholic Church, they would say, no, they were Joseph's children before they got married. And Joseph was old when he married uh, Mary, and that's why he was out of the picture so early, because we don't hear him mentioned. We don't know when Joseph died, but apparently he did. And most scholars agree that it was somewhere, you know, obviously before his ministry started. And, and so uh, there's all these, these arguments. And the reason why they want to do that is that they have a, a doctrine that Mary wasn't only a virgin when she married Joseph and, and, and when Jesus was conceived and, and all, and, and then married Joseph and stayed a virgin until after Jesus was born. But they want to maintain that she was a perpetual virgin, a virgin forever. I believe this scripture refutes that and basically says that they were a typical husband and wife. They knew each other sexually and that they had uh, at least four sons and, and at least two daughters. And the reality is, is that this community, the, the, the thing is, is that this community of Nazareth knew them. It's a small community, not unlike what we would Oh, your father is, or your son is, or your brother is, as we walk down the street and say hi to somebody, you know. Uh, it, they, they, they were familiar with each other. So, yes, 
Jesus had a family that included brothers and sisters. If you're like I am, uh, most of my exposure uh, to uh, Christianity uh, growing up was from the Catholic side. And, uh, you know, it was never discussed about the fact that there was brothers and sisters or anything else. So uh, I remember when I first uh, was reading this as a uh, new believer, and I shared it with my sister who had gone through 12 years of parochial school, uh, we had an interesting discussion. Uh, but it's, it's the idea that, that Jesus had a family. Mary was the mother of, of Jesus as well as his brothers and his sisters. Um, the question has to come, well, and we'll first understand that there's, there's three groups that generally are following Jesus. The disciples the crowds who are interested at any given point where he is, and the group of disciples following him is growing, okay? And there are the rulers of the, of the temples, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes that are following as well. The disciples, they want to hear what Jesus has to say. The crowds, they're pretty much amazed by the miracles and they want to see what he can do. The Pharisees, as we already said, they're looking to tear him apart, destroy him. The one group that doesn't appear in there anywhere is his family until now. And I, you know, I had to, to, to write in my own notes. I said, why are they just showing up now? Why weren't, why weren't they already in the crowd? Why weren't they with him uh, in all of these things? All these people are following after him. Why aren't they with him? Uh, we pick up a little bit of help from the Gospel of Mark and uh, chapter 3 where there's a little bit more information. If you, uh, you know, if we go down to verse 31, we pick up the parallel to this in Matthew uh, that we just read. But going back up the page uh, a ways in chapter 3, uh, it says that Jesus went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when it says Jesus went home, that normally meant not Nazareth, but Capernaum. That's where his headquarters were. He went there to, and, and, and it says the people were gathered around him so much that they didn't have time to even eat. Okay? That's just a picture that you need to get a hold of. They're not taking care of themselves. They're so busy, busy taking care of the people. And then it says, And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, He's out of his mind. Again, this isn't a scripture we hear preached a lot or talked about a lot. And, and, and we're saying, Hey, wait a minute. His family. Mary? <laughs> his brothers? Well, Matthew says that's who shows up here, and it says also in Mark. They show up. They're concerned about his mental welfare. Now, I could see and understand his brothers, because if we go to John chapter 7, and the first few verses of John chapter 7, we find that his brothers don't believe in him. In fact, they taunt him a little bit about going to the feast and announcing himself. He says, then, then it'll all be out in the open. 
So, and it says they didn't believe. But Mary has a little bit more going here than, than they have in the way of information. <laughs> but I feel that Mary, just like many other people, expected her son to be the Messiah according to the traditions they had taught. In fact, she was ready for him to announce himself at the, marriage, uh, at the wedding in Canaan. And so she said, oh, the guys you ran out of wine, just talk to him about it. He'll fix it. And he says, wait a minute, woman. You know, not disrespectfully, but this isn't the time or place for what you're wanting. He quietly still took care of it. The only people that knew what had happened were the ones carrying the, the jugs of water to, that turned into wine. But the, the, the thing was is that, you know, he's, you know, she had to see too. He, he's not matching what I've been taught all my life. Also, when you see that people are at, at a point where they are so pressed that they're fatiguing, they're not eating, there was that other sense of wanting to come alongside, maybe even more so in Mary's case, of being concerned about, you know, he's, he, he's, he's going off center here. He's, not, he's, he's, he's too preoccupied with this, and he's not doing what he needs to be doing, at least from her perspective. The bottom line is, is that they're still concerned. The brothers are saying he's out of his mind. Mary may be agreeing with that, but they're, they're also saying you know, that, that he's beside himself is another phrase that's sometimes used in the translation. The thing is, is that I have to agree with many of the commentators that say that they don't feel that that Mary quite understood what was going on because she wasn't with the crowd that was following him. Uh, she, she stayed at home. Now somebody say, well, yeah, look at how many kids she had. Well, uh, I don't know that they were a lot, you know, all of them that, that young at this point. But give all the opportunities. The bottom line is we don't see them, the family, at the places where Jesus is teaching. And I have to feel that in a sense, that's another, you know, and the why Matthew chose to include this here, along with the other areas of opposition, was that this is a subtle form of opposition as well. Not, you know, and you've got to understand there was no, you know, Jesus as he ministers to his family, there's never any sin, there's never any uh, way that he, he disparages them and their reputation or anything like that. So keep that in mind. But, but the, that he didn't have their full support. And I have seen over the years a number of people who will come to know the Lord, especially when they're older, and it causes friction in their families. It can even cause frictions between husbands and, and wives. I've seen it happen. Or one spouse becomes a Christian and the other one doesn't. And, and going to church becomes an awkward thing because the family used to do all these other things on Sunday and now the, the, the spouse that's a Christian would like to go to church, you know, but 
it's it's just so many different things that 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 it it can come up with. I can know that young people when they come to know the Lord, uh, you know, their family kind of gets concerned. I know my my family was concerned, especially my my dad. Uh, you know, I went from not going to church to going to church two or three times a week, and and uh, you know, he, he was concerned that I might be giving to the church on a regular basis financially. Uh, you know, the, and especially when I started using a word tithe, you know, and and uh, you know, he, he said, well, you you know, that's not a rule; that's just a guideline or something, you know. And and I I said well that's not the way I, the way I saw it in there and and we got in and then when I decided to go to Bible college she said okay this is an all out commitment I didn't expect and and he was thinking just the possibility that I was involved with a cult you know um, he knew it wasn't but he just felt that it was this was this wasn't what I planned for my son this wasn't the, what I expected from him I I, you know, I raised him with an open mind and now he's this narrow Christian person. And and it was difficult for my dad. Uh, and sharing the Lord with him was difficult. He didn't want to hear about it. And so there was some stress. stress. But I wasn't uh, alienated. And, and, and it wasn't, you know, uh, that we, we still went to their house. We still had dinner sometimes with them. We still, we, there was normally a, a bit of distance between us, uh, mile-wise. But we saw them. My kids got to see them. It wasn't like it was alienation. But Kathy and I had friends in Bible college, uh, especially Sharon. She was uh, uh, Jewish from an Orthodox Jewish family. And when she became a Christian, she was pronounced dead by her father. Meaning there is, we don't mention her name. It's like she's never been born. They took her pictures off the wall. Everything she had no access to her, to her family. Now her siblings eventually crossed the line, and then after her father had passed away, her, her mother eventually crossed the line. But she had quite a testimony, and I thought, man, talk about difficult. But Jesus says that if you are going to follow after me. It has to be a relationship that is deeper than any earthly relationship you have. And so uh, we have here this picture when Jesus' parent, uh, mom and, and brothers, his family, is outside wanting to speak to him. He makes a very clear statement. All who are willing to do the will of my father, you are my family. And that has all sorts of ramifications as well. We know that James and Jude, two of Jesus' brothers, became Christians. One is mentioned in Galatians. Jude is mentioned as the brother of James who wrote the gospel of uh, the letter of Jude. James is believed the brother of Jesus wrote James, uh, the letter of James. And uh, Mary... Uh, we know, and, and so we look at this and, and, and we're saying, well, did, did they have any favoritism with Jesus? I mean, if I wanted to get in with good with Jesus, did, did, did I go to James 
and try to get his ear so I could get Jesus' ear. And what Jesus is basically saying, even in the way he says it here, this is my family in this way. It's a spiritual family that James doesn't have any more access to Christ than any other believer. Mary doesn't have access to Christ more than any other believer. Jesus' friends, the apostles, don't have any more access to Christ than any other believer. Once we are in, there is no ranking of believers in the framework of your relationship with Christ. And I think that's important to, to see that we are all adopted, we all become children of God, and we are all joint heirs with Jesus. He makes a very clear statement there. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother, my brother, my sister. The will of the Father makes you, if you're doing the will of the Father, it makes you a part of the family of God. What's the will of the Father? Well, we can start talking about all the good things that, that, that we're supposed to do. By the way, you notice how it says it. Whoever's doing this is one of my children. In other words, they didn't become children by doing this. They're doing this because they are children. And so the very first thing that's within the framework of the, of the will is first and foremost that you submit to Jesus Christ as the Son of God. You confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that He is the Son of God. Look on the back of our, our bulletin. We have what's called the Roman Road. It talks about the reality. Every one of us has sin. There is no human being born on this earth by a you know, biological dad, biological mom, okay, so I can exclude Jesus here, uh, that, that is without sin, period. What are the wages of sin? Death, period. How big a sin do you have to, to, to commit in order to be getting the wages of sin? Any sin, anything that misses the mark. We're so good at categorizing things. Oh, man, that guy is really evil. Oh, that guy is this much. Oh, he did a little white lie, you know, kind of thing. When we miss the mark, we miss the mark. There is no categorizing. It's automatic. The wages are, are, are now, you know, owed and due to be collected by you, by me. What happens when we confess Jesus Christ as our Savior? He comes alongside and he allows his act on the cross to cover our sin, to remove our sin, to treat us as if we had never sinned. And he brings us into his holiness, into his righteousness. And it's a, through a period of time, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We've gone through that many times. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it this morning. But other than the fact that that reality, the will of the Father begins with having Jesus Christ as your Savior and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit comes automatically. There is a transition that goes on. There is a change that starts to happen. And 
it's not that we're to go around judging that you, you know, because what really happens a lot of times is, you know, I changed the first things that changed in me may not be the first thing God changes in you. And so I might turn around and say, hey, well, you're, you're maybe not saved yet because you haven't been delivered from this. You know, uh, you know the, the, it's, the reality is that the Holy Spirit is working in you to change the things that need to be changed in you in the order that they need to be changed for you to become more Christ-like in your life here and now. The desire to want to please God. And you can't please God unless you start with Jesus Christ and salvation. Your desire changes. You know, if, if you're like me, before I became a Christian, I didn't go to church on Sundays. That was a whole new thing. Uh, and, it, and it didn't happen immediately after I became a Christian. It was something that all of a sudden Kathy and I were saying, well, we probably should be going to church. <laughs> you know? And Kathy's mom, church that she went to, and, and, and named a person that she knew there that I knew. I said, well, if they can help him, they can help me. And uh, we, that's where we started going to church. The next thing you know, my dad was right. I was going to church constantly. Every time the door was open, I think we, 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 if it was something that pertained to our age group and, and, and to us, we, we wanted to be there. Almost all of our fellowship started to gear around what was going on in church. Radically changed the way we think. What happens is that you start to deny yourself in the sense of your personal wants and the desire to do and put yourself in a place where Jesus can minister to you and change you. And I, I come back, I, I probably overquote this, but you know, Tozer, when his prayer, I give me the desire to want more, the want to more, Lord. Give me the, the desire to desire you more, the want to want you more. Um, needs to become a part of our daily prayer life. Seeking after that desire to be growing in our desire for Him. So the will of the Father begins with you know, basically denying yourself and following Jesus. And denying yourself in this context of you can't save yourself. You cannot bring anything to the throne of God that's got enough value to cover the wages of sin. There is only one thing that can cover it. The blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why it was shed. That's why He went to the cross. It's kind of exciting if you start to think about what Jesus has planned for His family. And of course, when I'm saying his family, I'm referring to all of us. Jesus, according to John in chapter uh, 14, speaks about mansions being built. He says, I've gone to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to take you there. This earth is going, it's going to be a different place. It's, it's a different way of looking at things. You know, uh, A new heaven, a new earth in Revelation. John again. Uh, you know, 
a new heaven, a new earth, a place of no sorrow, no crying, no discord, (laughs) no pain, no suffering, no tears. And you turn and you think, I hope, you know, that what would register is, I'm really glad (laughs) that this happened to me. I am really excited that this happened to me. I'm really, you know, overwhelmed that this happened to me. And there have been times in my life where I've been more overwhelmed than others as I've seen the Lord work in different ways. But the reality is that there should be some kind of constant thing going on in in, in our thinking that says, I am a child of God. That is a unique thing, and it's because of what Jesus did and my faith in I am a child of God. And because of that, I've got a future that, that, that is beyond my comprehension. And everyone else who is a child of God has that same future, has that same hope, has that same promises that Jesus has given There's no longer any condemnation in you if you believe in Jesus Christ. Instead, there's hope. Heaven. Love of God that can't be separated from. I mean, it just goes on and on. And so I I, I found myself writing, you know, in my notes, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I, I immediately, I don't know why I looked at you two, because you get to hear the Gaithers now and then. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, the, a Gaither song. And it happened to be one of the songs that was very popular when I first became a Christian. And it was in one church where we didn't, the one in, in Atasada, we sang it every Sunday morning when church start, started. You know, one church we sang Majesty, another church we sang uh, Family of God. And and the idea is that you know the the the, the song and I, I I printed out the words to it. No, I'm not going to sing it. But I'm so the chorus is uh, you know I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood, joint heirs with Jesus, as we travel this sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. Very simple picture of of who we are in Christ. And then uh, they go on and they sing, you know, we, you will notice that we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family and these are so near. When one has a heartache, we share the tears and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. It's a great group of words, you know. Uh, and from the door of the orphanage to the house of the king, no longer an outcast, a new song I sing. From rags unto riches, from the weak to the strong, I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God, I belong. And uh, you know, I, I ended up doing, I, I diagrammed the sentence and did all sorts of things to it here to see everything that was there. But the bottom line was, you know, I'm not worthy. Jesus is worthy. But because of what Jesus has done and my confession of faith, I'm included. Confess. Believe. I was reading a uh, uh, an article that was uh, from the Legionnaire Ministries, which would be R.C. Sproul. And uh, 
you wrote uh, an article called The True Family of Jesus. It's very short, and I'd like to share it with you. Um, using the verses in Mark, Jesus answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about those, he sat around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Familial, familial, you know, family bonds tend to be far stronger than the bonds we have with any other people. In all but the most dysfunctional families, family members stick together and stand up for one another. Children look out for parents, and parents guard the interests of their children. In married relationships, husbands and wives share secrets between themselves that no one else on earth is privy to. Brothers and sisters put up with more from their siblings than they do from outsiders. Family put up with or do more? Oh, both. Family members also tend to be willing to do things for their families that they would not do for even their closest friends. Given this reality, we might expect that the earthly family of Jesus would have a place in his heart far above the place he grants any of his other followers. Yet the New Testament shows that this is not the case. In fact, Jesus does not define his family as those closest to him by blood. Instead, those who do the will of God can be called his true family. We would not take from today's passage that Mary, Joseph, and the brothers and sisters of Jesus, such as James and Jude, were unimportant to him. After all, we know that Jesus never sinned, which means he honored his earthly parents perfectly and cared for his siblings flawlessly. Rather, that what Jesus does with his statement is demonstrate that as important as his earthly relatives are to him, they have no special claim on him. Christ takes as his closest family members who trust in him and show that trust by keeping his commandments. To such individuals, he shows the same undying concern and affection that he shows to his blood relatives. By implication, those who are his family members by faith would be closer to him than family members by blood who do not trust in his name. Moreover, this is not a privilege only for men, but also for women. For he takes believing men as his brothers and believing women as his sisters. John Calvin comments that Jesus admits all his disciples and all believers to the same honorable rank as if they were his nearest relatives. Consequently, Jesus is not more willing to listen to Mary, his mother, than he is to any other disciple. James and Joseph do not have an inside track to Christ that no one else shares. Jesus accepts all believers as equal members of his family. Faith in him is what is crucial. Calvin comments that everyone who is regenerated by the Spirit and gives himself up entirely to God for true justification is thus admitted to the closest union with Christ and becomes one with Him. We can respect the, member, uh, uh, the members of Jesus' earthly family and honor them for their faith, but they are not more special to Him than any other, uh, than any other disciples. By grace, He guards all of us, uh, all of His people, as members of the family. And he did this by completing the work of the cross that was a plan before the foundation of the world. In other words, this was always the plan was to create the family of God. 
that would be united through Him and through His shed blood and through His resurrection and through His promises. And so we could probably sing you know, that thought, I'm so glad I am a part of the family of God. It is a special place to be, a special union to have. It's a special thing to share together. And it's not something that I can share with just everybody because not everybody wants to share it. The only time it really becomes something that people want to share is, is in that intimacy is when we're all in agreement who Jesus Christ is, the Son of God, God in the flesh, God incarnate. We even sang those words in our songs this morning. For all who confess and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Son of God, God in the flesh, for all of us who who have accepted that, we rest in what Jesus did on the cross. And so even when we come to communion and we come to the table to share together, no one comes with a better reputation than someone else in the sense of how they stand before the throne of God. They come as forgiven. They come as saved. They come as needing the the work of Christ covering them. Resting in the two words, it is finished for us as well. Jesus' words on the cross, as everything was completed, He said, it is finished. Gave up His spirit. Gave up His breath. He died. God incarnate died on the cross. Yet three days later, the tomb is empty to prove that He had the authority to do all the things He said He could do and did and would do and give us the confidence of all the things yet to come. Through His death, burial, and resurrection. We celebrate that at the table. We celebrate communion together until He comes again. And then we'll, I believe, share it at the marriage feast one more time. Ask the ushers to come forward to pass out the emblems. Hold them until we've all been served and we'll share together.
Sharing with the Corinthians, Apostle Paul wrote, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body, which is for you. after asking us to do this in remembrance of Him, He turned and said, in the same way, this cup after the, uh, you know, is, is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Again, Father, we come with thanksgiving for all that You have done for us. We come knowing, Lord, that none of us are worthy other than that what You do to us to change us. So I guess we would come and say, Lord, cause us to grow in You to show You how much we appreciate and love what You have done for us. Use Your Holy Spirit to strengthen our walk with You, to, to, to build our love for Your Word to build 
in us a desire to share with others what You have done and would do for all who will call on Your name. We love You. We worship You. We praise You. We thank You. Go with us. Be with us. As You minister to us, cause us to be prepared to minister to others. Again, we worship You. We praise You. We thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen.